If you have bought a signed author copy from my website of the She Hears Bible Study, you will see an inscription that I write in the beginning of all of them because it's probably one of the most impactful things that I learned personally that has changed my life. It says, the master has come and he calls for you. And this week we talk about this concept of how in the middle of Mary's sorrow and grief, Jesus comes and he calls her to himself. And so it's this concept of in the middle of our grief, the master has come and he calls for you. In the middle of your sorrow, in the middle of your pain, in the middle of your anger, in the middle of your mess, Jesus comes and he calls for you. It is one of the most beautiful pictures we see in this passage. And we're going to dive into this a little bit more today. This is the wrap up of the week of Mary, sister to Martha, that we studied in the She Hears Bible study. Stay tuned. Hey friends, welcome to the Hearing Jesus podcast. Do you sometimes doubt if you're truly hearing God's voice or if it's really your own? And how do you know the difference? Do you ever struggle to feel confident in your relationship with God and what he says in his word? Do you sometimes feel stagnant or like maybe you hit a wall in your spiritual life? Hey, I'm your host, Rachel Grohl, missionary, author, pastor, and life coach, and I have been there. I too was doubting God's voice in my own life. I felt insecure about my relationship with Him, and I wanted to be obedient to what God was calling me to do, but I wasn't quite sure how to figure out what that was. I felt like I was wasting time trying to figure it out, and I just wanted a way to understand His will for my life. The answer for me was found in the pages of the scriptures, as I learned how to understand what they were actually saying. If you're ready to grow in your faith and to step confidently into the calling God has for you, then join me as we dig deep into God's Word so that you can learn to live out your faith in your everyday life. Hey friends, before we get into today's episode, I have a quick word. I know you've been frustrated with being confident in how to tell the difference between hearing from God and wondering if it's your own voice. Listen, I know, I've been there myself. That's why I wrote the Bible study, She Hears, Learning to Listen to Jesus. This is a six-week study that takes you through the book of John, looking at six women in the life of Jesus. It also teaches the color method of Bible study, which helps you to learn how to really understand the scriptures. I include lots of cultural and historical information, and it really makes these familiar passages of scripture just come alive. This is a great study to do on your own, to do with some girlfriends or even some teenage girls, and it will help you really gain the confidence in how to hear from the Lord and set you up with some tools that will stay with you long after the study is over. You can find that on my resources page at shehears.org. And for a limited time, I'm offering all of my podcast listeners a special discount of 20% off. You can use the discount code hearing Jesus that's one word all caps to get your discount there are also some free videos and a leader's guide for you to get started again head to shehears.org and you can find the bible study on the resources page hi friends today we are continuing our she hears bible study by looking through the lens of chapter 5 which was Mary sister to Martha And like I had said last week, I originally wrote this as one larger study, but just two two parts, and it was so long I had to, you know, break it into two. So while I think it is definitely important to hone in on the passage of scripture that we're talking about this week, I also want to look at a little bit of the portion from last week's 
study and how it relates to the foundational aspects of what we're going to study this week. So in saying that, I'm going to go ahead and read the first passage of scripture that we looked at where um, we kind of just remember who we're talking about in this scenario. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I think it's important to address this because I often have been in a situation where I've heard this text uh, preached or taught where Mary gets a bad rap. And to be perfectly honest, in times in my own life when I have read this, I always side with Martha because I'm a Martha. And I always just think, okay, Mary, this is a story about two sisters. and Okay. But um, Mary was... Um, if we think about who Mary was and the behavior that she was exhibiting, I think it helps us understand her in a little bit different way. We, and this is, a lot of this is fleshed out in the book. So if you want information uh, or more information on any of this, please pick up a copy. But we have to remember what uh, being seated at the, at the feet of a rabbi meant in that culture. Um, that phrase, the phrase sit at the feet really meant to be a disciple of someone. And so we see other examples of this in scripture. In fact, Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel and um, we go through that in the book and, and kind of talk about that a little bit more but in all honesty Mary was a disciple and so her sitting at the feet of Jesus was evidence that she was one of his disciples and I think we sometimes forget um, there's elements in that culture that are different than what we've experienced and it's easy to overlook that but if we think about how Mary was being obedient to um, the teachings of the rabbi. It wasn't she, she was just being lazy or not wanting to help her sister. She was really trying to be obedient to what she had been taught to do. The other part of, of um, what we studied last week was in the story of Lazarus, and I'm not going to read that right now because it's pretty long, but in the story of Lazarus, when Mary responded, so Lazarus has died, Jesus has waited four days to come back to Bethany. Um, Mary responded by, uh, I could just see her, her hothead temper. That's how I imagine it. It's not that scripture says that. It's just how I, I imagine it marching out to, to confront Jesus. And they had that kind of relationship where she felt comfortable confronting him, um, and questioning him. Mary responded differently. Mary responded by staying seated on the floor of her home. And um, we touch on this a couple different times throughout the study, but in that culture, there was something called sitting Shiva. And so sitting Shiva meant that she would sit on the floor of her home for a week, sometimes up to two weeks in grief of her brother. And so if we think about this in terms of how she was a disciple, a student of a Jewish rabbi at the time, and she knew that to be a Jewish cultural and religious practice, in all likelihood, she was doing that because she felt like that's where she needed to stay in response to her posture as a disciple. Now, the interesting that we, thing that we see is that in her grief, 
Jesus comes to her where she's at. And um, I say this over and over again because I think this is such a, such a beautiful picture that we see from Scripture. In all of Scripture, I think this is one of the most beautiful things. Um, where, where Martha says to Mary, the master is come and he calleth for thee. I like that in the King James Version. But, but as we go through it, the master has come and he calls for you. And I think back through times in my own life when I have been in my grief, whether it was the failed adoption I mentioned in the, the, the study and I think last week's video, or I lost both of my grandparents who, um, raised me in a short period of time. So just that feeling of being orphaned, um, you know, it was a very heavy season of grief for me. There's been different times where I have walked through grief and I have, maybe I wasn't sitting on the floor of my home, but I was in my bed and I was in my bed with the covers over my head and I would do the bare minimum of what I had to do for my kids or work or whatever it was. But my, uh, primary place I wanted to be was in my bed, just in my own little cocoon, in my own grief. And, um, I remember just this season of feeling just so overwhelmed with my emotions. And it was in that season that, that Jesus came and he met me right where I was. And so that's this picture that I see. I want to read just a couple lines from the book. It says, um, in your grief, the master has come and he calls for you. In your pain, the master has come and he calls for you. In your doubt, the master has come and he calls for you. In your fear, the master has come and he calls for you. In your anger, the master has come and he calls for you. In your anxiety, the master has come and he calls for you. And you know, in all honesty, that list could go on and on. In your religion, the master has come and he calls for you. Because think through, Mary in her religion was sitting on the floor of her home, sitting Shiva, and really compelled to stay there because of the law. But what we see is Jesus coming to that place where he supersedes all else and he comes to find us where we are and he calls us to come with him. I think that is a powerful word that we need to be sharing with others, especially in this season where we have just walked through this shared trauma of pandemic life. We have, um, you know, people have lost jobs and lost businesses and lost um, family members. There's a lot of sorrow, a lot of heartache, a lot of heartbreak that, that we're walking through. But ultimately, isn't that the reality of life? The reality of life is that if we're having a good season, um, we all face those hard seasons. And so in those moments where we are surrounded by people that are hurting in their anxiety, in their pain, in their depression, in their grief, in their sorrow, we need to be that sister that says to them, hey, sis, in your grief, the master has come and he calls for you. Those are some powerful words that I think if we carry through in our relationships can really make an eternal impact, an eternal difference as we point each other back to Christ. So now we're going to get into the primary text for this week, and I'm going to go ahead and read it. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? 
it was a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and a keeper of the money bag, and he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I think it's important to point out, um, sometimes what happens in this story is we lump it together with another story. Um, the Gospels are called Synoptic Gospels. So that Matthew, Mark, and Long, John, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called Synoptic Gospels. And John's Gospel is a little bit different than the Synoptic Gospels. But what you will see is all four Gospels have a similar story. Because the story feels familiar to us, and because this action of anointing feet is kind of unfamiliar to us, we have a tendency to lump them all together. And in the book, we go through scripture by scripture, and we show and we point out how these were two different scenarios. And so there is a scene where a sinful woman washes the feet of Jesus with her hair. And then there's this scene where Mary washes Jesus' feet with the oil, with the pure nard. I wanted to make sure that we, we distinguish between the two because Mary is not a sinful woman. This is not the sinful woman that sometimes is referred to. And sometimes you will hear, will hear it taught that way, but that is not the truth. The truth is um, in the in the scriptures, if you go back, read the scriptures for yourself. Don't even take my word for it. That's why we do that in, in the book where I point you back to the scripture itself. Read the scriptures for yourself. Don't take anything at face value. Make sure that when you're being taught, um, you're understanding what the scriptures you're being taught from. But but Mary is not, we're establishing that now, Mary is not the sinful woman. This is Mary, sister of Martha, sister to Lazarus. So Mary is seated. Now remember, we first saw Mary seated at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. Then we see her seated in her grief where Jesus comes to her. And now we're seeing her seated at the feet of Jesus again. Um, again, a posture of being a disciple. She is seated in a place of obedience. And the act that she does with the pure nard um, seems foolish to everyone else in the room. And in fact, we go in the in the, the full study, we go into the value of the nard. And it's super interesting. I would encourage you to check that out. But in all likelihood, this was um, something incredibly valuable that had been passed down for generations. And remember, um, Bethany means house of poverty. They were in an area, they lived in an area where there was a lot of poverty. And so for, for the fact that she had saved this, when it could have radically changed their lives in a way that um, would have taken them out of that area of of town they wouldn't have even had to live there probably if they had cashed in on that um it reminds me of something really powerful that i witnessed when i was on a mission trip one time i was in um a south american country or no i think it was in the caribbean anyway we were in an area where um everybody that lived there was living extreme poverty i mean even the people that were wealthy their house was like a one room house or maybe two rooms it wasn't even um anything that we by our standards would consider wealth and so um we were in this area and we had been ministering in a garbage dump to some children and at the end of our trip um one of the gentlemen had this watch and he felt like he needed to give that to the missionary that that we were with. And when he did, um, it was a powerful representation. And it just reminds me so much of this story because when we got back to the States, um, 
we realized the value of that watch. Now he had been given it, given it to him by somebody else that had been traveling there and he didn't know, um, I don't think we didn't know at the time how valuable it was, but it ended up being like a forty, fifty thousand dollar watch. And I think about how that would have changed the life of that individual that gave that watch. I mean, forty to fifty thousand um, dollars, even if he had gotten half of that, for where he was living, um, the the place that he was in in his life, it would have been life changing. But instead, God called him to. Um, in obedience to give that to the missionary, to bless the missionary. And I just think about that, like that amount of obedience, this wasn't just, Hey, I have this old watch in this drawer. I'm going to give it to you. This was something of incredible value that could have been life changing. And, but, but yet they still saw this more value in giving that to Jesus. And I think about how God has shown me over and over again, how there's nothing wasted in the kingdom. And regardless of what the world might think is foolish, um, ultimately your relationship with God, your relationship and that close abiding with Christ is more important than any price tag that the world assigns to, to anything that we have. Um, our skills, our talents, our, our, um, the things we own, any of that, um, ultimately our obedience is worth more than all, any financial gain. So again, we see Mary seated on the floor and of course, um, she has some insult thrown at her, doesn't she? You know, I um, I didn't put it together until I started to prepare for sharing this video with you guys today. But um, I have gone through a season in the last year and a half, and I mean, I guess we all have in some ways. But I've gone into see I've been in a season of transition where I have gone from being in a very public ministry where I'm with lots of people every day to a very private ministry in the sense that I transitioned into a missions role shortly before the pandemic began, and of course during the pandemic we couldn't travel, so a lot of my work is right here in front of my computer and my iPad and doing remote Zoom calls and WhatsApp calls and all those kinds of things, but but I'm alone a lot. And as the world has started to open up, we have um, been part of an amazing thing that God is doing with a new church plant. And my heart is to jump in with both feet and just serve because I have a servant's heart. But yet I'm also in the process of sharing these words with you and um, travel starting to open back up. So we're making plans for that. And so I have this, this almost like this divided heart where I definitely see God's hand in how he's been preparing me to pour back out and uh, the exciting things he's doing with a book. But because I led such a busy, chaotic lifestyle for the last decade, I have my flesh tendency is to try to jump in and help and do all the things. And um, as I was kind of even just praying through that over the last couple months, the voice of the Holy Spirit keeps saying, stay seated. And I struggle with that because I am just busy. I like being busy. I like feeling productive. I like feeling like I'm doing things. And even over the last couple months, as I'm like, okay, well, maybe I can, you know, go in this direction. God keeps saying, stay seated. So much so that even now with the new church plant where there is a lot of work to do, um, I'm starting to learn how God is using other people to, to fulfill those roles because he has pulled me out to fulfill this mission. That's a hard thing for me because especially when it's my friends that need help and my friends that are living on mission and, and I've served with for a long time, my tendency is to want to just jump in and help and 
I mean, take over if need be. I mean, that's just the personality that I have. And um, I am learning to stay seated. That has been a huge mark of obedience in my life where I'm learning to just rest. And I was reading this book earlier this year when I took um, a, a rest weekend uh, for a couple days. And one of the things that I read during that week is rest is a weapon. And I never thought about it like that before. In fact, I would think, well, I can rest when I'm dead. Like I got work to do. Every moment matters. And yes, every moment matters, but moments of rest matter too, because I can't fight the enemy from a posture of weariness. So my rest, resting in him, resting in Jesus is a weapon. And so I'm hearing this these words stay seated. And it wasn't until I started thinking through Mary's story today where um, Judas is hurling insults at her and questioning what she's doing. She stays seated. And I thought about that even in terms of, um, you know, any time you start doing a, a work for the Lord, uh, it's, it's predictable in the sense that you will meet resistance from the enemy. And we have a lot going on right now. We have the church plant going on and we're um, getting ready to go to the Dominican for some um, outreach ministry with children and um, the, the book coming out. Um, there's a lot where we have this target on our back. And to be perfectly honest, I was really caught off guard by where some of those targets were originating. Um, you know, Judas had been part of the pack of disciples that had been traveling with Jesus and part of that inner circle. And here we have Mary, who's seated at the feet of Jesus, being obedient to what God has called her to do. And she is pouring out her gift on Jesus. And from the inner circle... There's an attack. I wish I could say I didn't experience that, but that would be a lie. And I think my tendency in my flesh would be to rise up and fight with the truth, with evidence, with proof, with all of the things I know to be true. And yet God has said, stay seated. It's been incredibly hard for this loud mouth justice warrior to be seated. But what do we see Jesus do? He says, leave her alone. You see, he is our defender. He knows the truth. He knows her heart. He knows her motivation. He knows the fact that he has put her in this place for this moment so that in her obedience, she can fulfill the greatest calling of her life. And he has defended her against the voice of somebody in that inner circle that thinks what she's doing is ridiculous, that tries to um, be, even be dishonest in the way that he's attacking her. And what do we see Jesus do? Leave her alone. In, in all reality, that has been life-changing for me. There have been um, attacks against my character and attacks against my integrity and attacks against my motivations, um, both personally and professionally. And my tendency is to want to rise up and fight because I'm a fighter. And instead, God has said, stay seated. And 
there have been several things that have happened in the last couple of months where um, I had an international ministry reach out and just ask me to help them write some curriculum. Um, I had the opportunity open up to, to do some, some travel, to go introduce some new ministries to some countries that we've not worked in before. Um, the opportunities with the book where I um, have all these invitations to come in and um, just teach online to some women that want to go through the process of this book together. I know I'm exactly 100% where I'm supposed to be. I know it. But the flaming arrows keep coming. And so as I am listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, who is saying, stay seated, what I've realized is he is my defender. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't what matter if they question my motives or my intention or my foolishness. What matters is that Jesus is my defender. And so um, I think it's important to remember what happens next after this scene. When Mary anoints Jesus with the nard, which is like um, a fragrant ointment, really, um, that fragrance stays with him. And if you go throughout the scriptures, and again, this is in the book, you will see that when there was a processional where a king would be going through a town, um, one of the things that was done in that time frame is the king would be anointed with a perfume so that before you could even see the king, you could smell him. And as he passed by, he would have a royal aroma. Mary anointing Jesus with this nard. It would have been very powerful. It was a lot. It was a huge amount. Um, the the the. I mean, the value of um, the size of that jar would have been incredible. But it was a huge amount, which meant that that uh, aroma would have likely have stayed with him. As he rode the donkey, people are claiming, you know, saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. As he went on that triumphal entry, he had the aroma of a king. When he walked the Via Della Rosa, he had the aroma of a king. When he was put on the cross, he had the aroma of a king. Mary was instrumental in establishing the kingship of Jesus in a way that others could recognize. Her obedience opened up the opportunity to be a witness. I don't know about you guys, but I want to be in that posture. I want to be in a place where my obedience points others to Christ. I don't always understand it. We won't. Sometimes this side of heaven we won't. Maybe God will reveal that. Maybe he won't. But it's about my obedience. Regardless of what anybody else says. Regardless of how it looks to anybody else. Regardless of the inner circle critique. It doesn't matter. What matters is that I stay seated at the feet of Christ. Because that posture of being seated at his feet will give me the opportunity to be obedient in a way that he can use to glorify himself and advance the kingdom. 
So my question for you is, where are you seated? Are you seated at the feet of Jesus as a disciple, just learning, going through this Bible study, learning about who he is and trying to understand more? That's the perfect place to be. Says, stay there. Are you seated in your grief or your sorrow or your confusion or your religion or your anxiety? Are you paralyzed? If that's the case, I want to say the master has come and he calls for you. He doesn't want you to stay stuck there. Ultimately, the goal is for you to be seated at the feet of Christ in a way that prepares you for your greatest calling. That looks different for everybody. But it doesn't matter. It's between you and Jesus. I want to pray for you. But that's the question I want you to think about this week. Where are you seated? Father God, thank you for my friends. As they work through this study, I pray that you would move them to a posture of being at your feet. And that out of an overflow of their joy and their love for you, they will be ready to be obedient to whatever it is that you call them to do. God, I thank you that we are never so far away that you can't reach us. That in our sorrow or our brokenness or our pain, you come and you say, the master has come and he calls for you. You call us out of the darkness and into the light so that we can be obedient servants for you. God, I thank you for that. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the King, Lord God. May we also have that aroma of Christ as we share the gospel with those in the world around us. I thank you and I praise you for your Holy Spirit and the way that you draw us in and teach us about you. I thank you and praise you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Bye, friends. Talk to you next week. Hey friends, if this podcast helped encourage, empower, or equip you for God's call in your life, I would love it if you would head over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. That's the number one way you can support my show. You can also join our free Facebook community or Instagram page where I share inspirational tips, resources, and prayer throughout the week. Hey, I want you to know I'm praying for you this week. Know that you are loved, you are cherished, and you are His.